Hey, there's a number of ways to learn from God's Word, okay? There's a lot of, you know, we study the Bible. Isn't it amazing that that book uh, is something we just never fail to learn from when we pick it up? And there's so many ways we learn. We study book by book like we're doing in our Sunday classes. Uh, we look at doctrinal issues and we study through those to make sure that we're following God's will appropriately. We also look at individuals. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Sometimes we learn from just looking at the people that God dealt with, the people he worked through, and those oftentimes, like Peter, those individuals that had contact with Jesus himself and learned from him and then took on his work and carried it on. We're studying the books of First and Second Peter in our Sunday classes right now, and I just thought it would be great if we would take some time and look at Peter himself. Since the study that we're involved in, in Sunday, on Sundays right now really doesn't just look at him, talks about uh, and looks at the letters that he wrote to the churches very close to the end of his life. So let's take a look at Peter uh, tonight and see what we can learn uh, from him. I think it's interesting to, to note, first of all, that his name was Simon Barjona. Now, some of us have different names, and that's okay. If you called me Roy Cornelius Banning Jr. all the time, I'd get a little bored with that, all right? So we, we go with Sonny. A lot of people have different names, but it's interesting that this guy had, his original name was Simon. The bar Jonah means that he's the son uh, of John. Jonah was the concept of John. Today, we would say that his name was Simon Johnson. That would be the English concept uh, of Peter. Uh, later in history, Simon became uh, uh, quite a common name. And, and Simon really is, is uh, or Simeon is the form of Simon in the Old Testament. So we know there are Simeons in the Old Testament. We even hear Simeon uh, in the New Testament as, as well. The name Simon uh, appears as Simeon in the New Testament when James uh, called Peter Simeon in Acts chapter 15 in verse 14, from the time of the Maccabees, uh, Simon was really a very common name. There's probably ten times in Scripture that someone is named Simon. We don't use that a lot, name a lot today, but back then it was a very common name. Both Simeon and Simon are from the Hebrew word Shimeon, uh, which signifies listening, means listening. Uh, back then, people's names meant something. Today, they really don't mean much. I remember uh, taking Spanish class in Sulphur, Oklahoma. And one of the things that we did my senior year, what are you grinning about, Doug? Uh, my senior year, one of the things that we had was a Spanish club, and everybody got a Spanish name. So if your name was John, you were called Juan. You know, it was very interesting, kind of fun. They came to me. And... Uh, the only thing they could figure out for Sonny was Poncho. So I was called Poncho for the rest of the time, all right? Names usually mean something, but in my case, they fail to mean very much. In his case, Peter's uh, case, Simon's case, it meant something. It meant, it meant listening. The name was very widely used throughout the Middle Ages and during the Reformation, but just isn't very common today. His nickname, however, was Peter. Sometimes we use the term a given name or a nickname. And that wasn't necessarily unusual in biblical times, but his nickname was Peter. When, when Andrew 
brought his brother uh, uh, Simon to Jesus, uh, Jesus met him with a rather strange salutation in John chapter 1 and verse 42. He said, you are Simon, the son of John, very true, you will be called Cephas. You will be called, I don't, I don't know that Jesus ever called him Simon, just as a name beyond that point. You're going to be called Cephas. Now, in Aramaic, uh, Cephas is, is generally pronounced Kephas with a K, uh, not a C. And that was the language that they were, were pronouncing back, back then. But Cephas means Peter, okay? So we know, uh, we know that uh, uh, we now have three names for this guy. Simon, which is his Jewish name, Kephas or Cephas, which is his Aramaic or Syriac name, and then Peter, which is a descriptive uh, Greek name. It, 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 as much as a name, it was, it was really a descriptive concept, and it literally means stone or rock. We've had a lot of uh, discussion in the church about uh, Peter's name, but it literally does mean stone, and it also means rock. Now, it's interesting that Jesus met him, uh, Simon, son of John, Simon Bar-Jonah, and looked at him and said, I'm going to start calling you Peter. I'm going to start calling you Rock. I'm going to start calling you Stone. Interesting, but that's what he did, all right? So as we see throughout the New Testament, this strange name... Uh, it, it, it gets even stranger when we start looking at the life of Peter because Peter was anything but a rock. He was, he was anything but a rock. And yet, Jesus wanted to call him rock or stone, the concept of something very solid. He was born Simon, but under the hands of the Messiah, who, who, uh, he was going to be called Peter the Rock. Simon Peter was one of the most, one of the very first followers of, of, uh, of Jesus Christ. He was an outspoken, uh, passionate uh, disciple, one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, and, and, and an apostle as well, and a pillar in the church. Many people mistakenly believe that because of the relationship they had and because of the way that Jesus relied on Peter for certain things, that he was the leader of the church. You don't find that in Scripture, but many people believe that. He was a pillar in the church. He was a strong man in the church, but he didn't start out that way. Peter was enthusiastic. He was strong-willed. He was impulsive at times, uh, and he was brash at times as well. Peter had some admirable strength about him. And that may have come from the fact that he was a man who worked with his hands. He was a fisherman. We, don't, we usually think of people who are working with their hands as, as being carpenters or steel people or something of that nature. But he worked with his hands. He was a fisherman and he worked hard. He was a man of strength. And, and, but he also had a lot of failings uh, in life. And still the Lord chose to call him the rock. Kind of an interesting Kind of an interesting scenario. Peter was originally from Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is a little bit off of this map. I really tried to find a good map that I could share with you, but just a few miles north of this 
map, you would find Bethsaida. That's where Peter's really from. But he lived in Capernaum, so very close. Now, if you also remember when we were working through the New Testament, when we were studying Acts, we see a lot of Jesus' ministry was around the Galilean area. Jesus really, time-wise, not importance-wise, time-wise, Jesus spent very little time in the heart of Judaism, which is Jerusalem. He spent so much time out, north of Jerusalem, out in the Galilean area. It was kind of interesting because it was a mix or crossover place. There was a lot of non-Orthodox Jewish people that lived in that area, many of them called Samaritans. And there were also some Gentiles in that area. But Jesus spent a lot of his time, and that's where he found most of his disciples as well. And that's where he found Peter. Peter was a married man, according to Luke, uh, excuse me, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5. As far as we know, he was the only married disciple. Now, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say that he was the only married disciple, apostle, but it appears uh, that he's the only one that's actually mentioned uh, that way. Uh, most of them could well have been single men. Uh, and he and James and John uh, were partners in the fishing business. Uh, just as a matter of curiosity, there were three kinds of fish that the fishermen of the Sea of Galilee typically went after. Y'all recognize that picture? That's good stuff. Uh, some people are just grinning. Well, I got one amen. I haven't seen anybody puke yet. I grew up on sardines. My dad loved them, so we learned to eat them, and we just thought they were pretty good. But sardines was one of the main uh, things that fishermen fished. And they didn't fish much with hooks and things. They fished with nets, and they brought in a lot of, a lot of sardines. And likely... It was two small fish, perhaps two sardines that the boy brought uh, to Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000. Could well have been because they were described as two small fish. Uh, sardine and, and bread were the staple for that uh, area of, of Galilee. People ate sardines and they baked bread. Barbels is also another fish that they fished for. I, I call it a cross between a catfish and a carp. I think it's a little closer to a carp. Uh, than anything that I know of. But it was also uh, known to be a major source of food uh, out of the Sea of Galilee. And then there was the third kind. You're wondering why I'm talking about the fish. I'll share with you in a second. There was the third kind called the mushed. M-U-S-H-T. Okay? Mushed. It's a tilapia fish. Okay? We discovered, our family discovered tilapia in California. Did you know there's an alligator farm in California? We were dry, I mean, in Colorado, excuse me, Norman Craig. In Colorado, it's an alligator farm in Colorado. And we happened to be driving through Colorado and just noticed a sign that said alligator farm, and we just went to it. So it was pretty cool. Guess what they were feeding the alligators? Tilapia. They were growing tilapia and growing alligators, and they grew the, uh, the tilapia to feed to the alligators. First time I'd ever heard of tilapia. We eat it a lot now. But it's, it was a very popular fish during that time. And in the Middle East, even today, it is referred to as St. Peter's fish. It was supposedly, now a lot of this is by tradition, not, not because we read it out of the Scripture. But it is supposedly the fish that Peter caught to pay the temple taxes in Matthew chapter 17, between verses 24 
and 27. It was uh, supposedly the mushed fish. Simon was introduced to, to Jesus through his brother Andrew, who had followed uh, Jesus after hearing uh, John the Baptist uh, preach and proclaim that Jesus uh, was the Lamb of God. Andrew immediately went to find his brother, Simon, and bring him to Jesus. And upon uh, Jesus meeting Simon, he gave him that name, Cephas uh, in Aramaic, or Peter uh, in Greek. According to the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus first met Peter, he produced a miraculous catch of fish. Immediately, Peter left everything and followed Jesus. Verse 11 of Luke chapter 5. He was a fisherman, and his life was centered around fishing. Now, for the next three years, Peter lived as a disciple of Christ. A disciple is a student, someone that studies. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are someone who learns from Christ. You study Christ. You follow Him. Now, in these particular days, these were Orthodox Jewish people, and when they followed a teacher, that teacher was called rabbi, because that's what it means, teacher. He, so Jesus was, this, this is a group of Jewish people now, not a group of Christian people. Okay, don't get the, too confused yet. So Jesus was a rabbi, and these folks were following him. In traditional uh, teaching, uh, back during uh, the time of Christ, uh, uh, in, in, in temple worship, in synagogue worship, and, and with rabbis uh, in the mix, it was typical for people to learn the ways of God through a rabbi, and they would follow him. And it was typical for them to follow from one, two, three years. They would follow this rabbi, and they would learn from this rabbi. Okay. And it was also typical for there to be about 10 or 12 people in this rabbi's group. So it was kind of a perfect small group, as it were, to learn from the rabbi. And they went where the rabbi went, and they ate what the rabbi ate, and they studied with and talked to the rabbi, and he taught them to be like him and to know what he knows so that when this, when this school... This rabbinical school dismissed, they would go their way and perhaps seek other people to follow them. They would become rabbis to follow them as well. So a very interesting pattern. And we have these 12 following Jesus uh, in this way. Uh, uh, so it was, it was interesting uh, to me that Peter uh, was one of the first folks, not the, but one of the first folks uh, called and to be a disciple of Christ. And later, John made him, uh, Jesus made him uh, an apostle. Peter was part of the inner circle of this group. And so it wasn't just that Jesus had this group of 12 people and worked with them. He did. I have no doubt that he loved them very much, cared for them. But even within this 12, he had a, an inner circle. Okay? Peter, James, and John were in his inner circle. And that's sort of a... We, we always, when we think of apostles, most likely one of the first things that comes to our mind is Peter, James, and John. And so it's, it's something that we've learned uh, from our youth. And we think about that. They were the, they were the inner circle. Uh, so Peter was part of that inner circle, uh, along with James and John, 
And only the three of them were present with Jesus when he raised the daughter of Jairus uh, in Mark chapter, chapter 5. And they were with him when the transfiguration took place on the mount in Matthew chapter 17. And Peter and John were given the special task at the end of Christ's ministry of preparing the final Passover feast uh, in Luke chapter 22. So we see him, Peter, others as well, him being selected uh, almost as a special person in Christ's uh, group, even though Christ loved and cared for all of them. We see Peter, James, and John rising rapidly as leaders even within that group. Now, in several instances, uh, Peter showed himself kind of to to his original self of who he really was. Well, today, as we're studying the books of First and Second Peter, which were the ones that he wrote, when we're studying those, we think about this great and marvelous apostle and this man of wisdom and character and stature. We have to remember where he came from. He wasn't always that way. He was a bit of an impulsive individual. I, I go all the way back to him being called from being a fisherman to follow Christ. Yeah, I'll follow you. Well, when you have a successful business, I'm assuming successful, a fishing business and partners with other folks, and you just say, well, here we go, we're going to leave. He even later said, Christ, we've left everything. So we know that when he walked away from that, we know he dabbled in fishing a little bit, but when he walked away from that, he, he made the statement, we've, I've, we've left everything to follow you. Now, you and I would look at that today as a bit impulsive. As an example, if I were to walk out of this building through the back door and say, anybody that wants to come and be my disciple and let me teach you, just follow me out the door. I'd probably get to the parking lot and turn around and wonder, where's everybody at? Where have you guys gone? But that was almost the scenario in, under which we see uh, Peter following Jesus. Very, very impulsive uh, in, in, in that context. It, it was Peter who got out of the boat to walk on the water, to walk to Jesus, Matthew chapter 14. And, of course, he promptly took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. We understand that. But he couldn't stand being in the boat. He had to go out. To be with Jesus. That was the, that was the character of who we, who we know as the Apostle Peter. All right? Now, I only, I only pointed that out because I just want us to think about those, those characteristics of Peter. This impulsiveness and this perhaps sometimes recklessness uh, as an example. It was Peter who took Jesus aside and rebuked him for talking about his death. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I'm going to die. And he began to talk about this, and Peter just pulled him aside. Now, here's, here's Jesus the rabbi, and here's all the disciples. And the rabbi says, I shall die. And Peter grabs him and pulls him aside and says, stop talking like that. Stop talking like that. That's, that's another aspect of the, a bit of the impulsiveness of Peter. Uh, even though he didn't really know what he was talking about. That was just sort of a characteristic uh, of him. It was Peter who suggested that we erect three tabernacles to honor Moses, Elijah, uh, and Jesus uh, back in that transfiguration, uh, Matthew chapter 
14. Uh, but he fell to the ground uh, in fear and in silence uh, at the glory of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 5 and verse 6. It was Peter who drew his sword and attacked uh, the servant of the high priest, Malchus, cut off his ear, John chapter 18. He was immediately told, put your sword back up, okay, verse 11, that impulsiveness about him. It was Peter who boasted that he would never, ever forsake the Lord. Even if someone else did, I'm not ever going to forsake you. And later, of course, we know that he denied uh, the Lord three times. Uh, we see again that character, that uh, human character, that earthly character of Peter coming out and the rabbi having to deal with that. But isn't it interesting that the rabbi kept dealing with that? Isn't it interesting that, that the rabbi kept him, not only as an apostle, but apparently as a leader among the apostles in a way? Through all of Peter's ups and downs, Jesus remained his loving Lord and his faithful master. His guide in life. Jesus reaffirmed Simon as Peter, as the rock in Matthew chapter 16. He reaffirmed him after all of Peter's, some, many of Peter's issues and difficulties in following him. And after he confessed uh, that the Lord uh, was the Son of God. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. After his resurrection, the angel specifically, listen to this, named Peter as the one who needed to hear the good news that he had been raised. Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. And after repeating the miracle uh, of the large catch of fish, it was repeated again, Jesus made a very special point of forgiving and restoring Peter uh, to his commission uh, as an apostle. John chapter 21. Verse 16, and on the day of Pentecost, Peter was the main speaker to the crowd. Others spoke. Peter started this thing out. Peter and the apostles stood up and preached the good news of Jesus Christ. Right there on Pentecost, among all of the Orthodox Jews who had come from miles around, come from all over to worship at the temple, okay, Many of them had witnessed, perhaps, because they had been there earlier for Passover, had witnessed the execution of Jesus Christ. No, no, it doesn't say that. Had to have been that situation. It was Peter that stood up as apparently one of the main speakers. And the church began that day with an influx of about 3,000 new baptized believers. Acts 2 and verse 41. I don't know about you, but maybe the song is bouncing around in your mind, down in the river to pray. <laughs> you know, can you just imagine that day? Unfortunately, this, this picture probably doesn't depict the situation. They were probably and most likely baptized in the Jewish ceremonial washing baths in Jerusalem. But what a beautiful picture. 
of so many people coming, coming to know the Lord. Salvation and grace being there. Peter, the impulsive guy, the guy that wanted to walk out on the water, you know, the guy that pulled his sword, the guy that pulled Jesus aside and said, man, you're not going to die. We're, gonna, we're not going to let you die. was the guy that stood up and preached the good news. What a wonderful thing. After the Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost, everything changed. Everything went the other way. Now, Peter still had some of his human traits. We read about that a little later. So he still had some of his human traits. But when the Spirit came, and it came to the children of Israel, Peter was the one that preached that message. And that day, 3,000 souls were saved. Uh, the, the empowerment of Peter uh, ha- as a great leader uh, in building the church is seen really in three stages, I think. Number one, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Something we study, look at, look at, learn all the time, okay? Then he was present when the Samaritans received the Spirit, Acts chapter 8, okay? And finally, he was summoned to the home of the Roman soldier, the centurion Cornelius. By the way, that's what that C means in my name. Thanks. Who also believed and received the Spirit, all right? So there's something very special. Uh, We notice in Acts that Peter was the guy that was there when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and the Jewish people were brought away from the law and into the grace of Jesus Christ. He was there when the hated Samaritans were bestowed with the Holy Spirit. Broke down that third barrier. And he was there when those, oh my goodness, Gentiles. You know, even a, some even worse than the Samaritans were the Gentiles. The Greeks. Okay? All the other people of the world. Why is that such a precious thing? Acts chapter 10. Because that's who you and I are. That's who you and I are. We're those Gentiles, okay? But Peter was there. In this way, Peter helped to unlock those three different worlds and open the door to the church, of the church to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles through the Holy Spirit. But even as an apostle, Peter experienced some growing pains. We know that we know that. Once he was converted, once the Spirit came to him, he still had the temptation of leaning back on his own human ways. Okay? At first, he had resisted to take the gospel to Cornelius. That was that third, you know. He had already witnessed the Spirit in the Jews. He had already witnessed the Spirit in the, in the uh, 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 Samaritans. But he was hesitant. Remember, God had to send him a sign. Remember the sheet full of unclean stuff? And Jesus said, if I've made it clean, it's clean. Okay. He was hesitant. Part of his human nature didn't want him to do that. However, when he uh, saw the Romans, uh, uh, Cornelius and his family had received the Spirit, 
in the same way that he had received it, then Peter concluded, Acts 10, chapter 34, God does not show favoritism. A lesson we must learn. After that, Peter strongly defended the Gentiles uh, as believers. And in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 7, we read this. The apostles and elders meant to consider this question. What question? Should the Gentiles be circumcised? In other words, and it's deeper than that, it's not circumcised. Should the Gentiles have to be Jews before they become Christians? So after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, shows that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts and faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor their fathers have been able to bear? No. We believe it through the we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Well, Peter led this process with his wisdom, even though he had trouble in his own physical uh, physical life. Another episode, of course, was uh, uh, in Peter's growing life was when he visited Antioch. Uh, where he was enjoying some fellowship, sitting down and eating with a bunch of Gentiles. And then, of course, some uh, Orthodox Jews came on the scene, and Peter immediately dismissed himself from the table. He didn't want to offend the Orthodox Jews, or he just didn't want them to think badly about him uh, as sitting and eating uh, with the Christians. And if you remember uh, at Gen- uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, Paul tells that he had to call Peter uh, on that. Had to straighten him out on that. So, so that human nature kept popping up, and yet he was a glorified leader uh, in the church. Later in Peter's life, uh, he spent time with John Mark. We all have heard about John Mark. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 3 uh, tells about that time that he spent with, with John Mark. Who, and John Mark, was this is the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark. And many believe that this was the time when Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, but he did it at the bequest of Peter and perhaps even scribed what Peter was saying. We don't know that, but perhaps even scribed what Peter was saying. That's why today a lot of people call Mark the Gospel of Peter. They think it could have been at least his words or at least his influence uh, that caused that to happen. Don't know. Peter wrote uh, the two letters that we're studying in, in the Scripture now, uh, between, probably between A.D. Uh, 60 and A.D. Uh, 68. Uh, Jesus uh, said, that, uh, said that Peter would die uh, a martyr's death uh, in uh, John chapter 21, 18 and 19, uh, a prophecy that was fulfilled probably uh, during the, the reign of Nero. When he was taken out, his ignorance... Uh, on the Christians. Tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. It's a story that may well have been true, but we cannot verify that. It simply is, is a, a, a traditional thought. 
What can we learn from Peter's life? Let me share four quick things from you. Let me share these four last things. And that's why I wanted to look through Peter's life real quick and share with you. Why do we look at Peter? Why do we want to share and figure out what Peter's life was all about? Why do we want to take a closer look at him? Number one, Jesus overcomes fear. Peter was a man of fear. He was a man of distress. Jesus overcomes that. He didn't want to go see Cornelius. He didn't want to get involved in that whole Gentile thing. And yet, through Jesus, he overcame that. He didn't want to own up to who Jesus was on that night of his betrayal. And so he went and hid with everybody and stood by fire, warm in his hands. He was a man of fear. Jesus overcomes fear. Whether stepping out of that boat into the tossing waves uh, in, in that sea or, or going to the gen, uh, home of, of Cornelius for the first time, Peter found courage by following Christ. First John chapter 4 and verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect fear casts out love. Number two, we learn that Jesus forgives unfaithfulness. Thank you, Lord. After he had boasted of his, uh, of his uh, faithfulness, telling everybody how faithful he was, Peter fervently denied the Lord three times. Amazing. It seems that Peter had burned, by this time, all of his bridges. And yet Jesus lovingly rebuilt those bridges one at a time and restored Peter back to his service. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13 says, If we are faithful... He will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Thank you, God. We learn that Jesus patiently teaches. Another, another thing that we can be thankful for. Over and over, Peter needed correction. And the Lord gave, he, he gave it to him, corrected him with patience, with firmness, and with love. The master teacher, Jesus Christ, looks for students who are willing to learn. I've had so many people say, oh, I couldn't live that way. Or, oh, I don't know anything about God. Or, I don't know anything. Jesus patiently works with us and brings us along and, and, and teaches us his way. He teaches us with patience. Philippians chapter 1, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Psalms uh, chapter 32 and verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And finally, Jesus sees us as he intends us to be. For the very first time, they, from the very first time they met, Jesus called Simon Peter. Peter, Simon wasn't a rock, but Jesus called him a rock. Isn't that interesting? How long did it take Simon to become a rock? But Jesus started calling him that from the very beginning. Jesus saw in Peter what he intended for Peter to be, and he gently led him uh, in that direction. Jesus sees unlikely heroes. Peter was a fisherman from Galilee, but Jesus called him to be a fisher of men, Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Because Peter was willing to leave all that he had, God used him in tremendous ways. As Peter preached, people were amazed at his boldness because they said he was unschooled. Who is this guy? He was ordinary. He wasn't somebody special. 
He isn't somebody to be put up on a pedestal. But then they took note, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, because they said, he has been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Jesus will, for, will forgive our unfaithfulness. Jesus will help us overcome those fears in our life. He'll patiently walk with us and teach us. He sees in us who he wants us to be. He sees in us now what he wants us to be. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you from, come from. You are or can be a hero in the army of Jesus Christ because he can make you that. It isn't your own education. It isn't your own skill. It isn't your own talent. It's relying on him. It's letting him mold you the way you need to be molded. This closer look of Jesus to me challenges us to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. That's the invitation. You can keep seeing yourself like you want to see yourself. You can keep seeing yourself as a failure. You can keep seeing yourself as your own leader, as your own boss, as your own master. But Jesus sees you differently. And really, I don't mean to oversimplify things, but all you really have to do is leave the, leave the boat and follow Jesus. You have to make him your master, just as Peter did. He had a lot of trouble. He had a lot of, a lot of struggles in that walk. But look, look what God did to him. Look what God did through him and for him. And no, you may never preach to and baptize 3,000 people. You can be a disciple of Jesus Christ and walk eternally with him. If that's your choice, and it is a choice, come as we stand and sing.